Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. First application in the list this episode is Kipi or Kippy plugins. That's K-I-P-I plugins. These are plugins for social media interactions in applications such as Gwenview, Digicam. Those are the two that I can think of. There's probably more, but those are the two that I can think of. So if you're using Digicam, for instance, or I think Gwenview, I mean, I should I should check just to make sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure also Gwenview. If you're using one of those applications, then there is, yeah, Gwenview as well. There's a share button or or menu item if you're the menu user type. Uh, there's a share button or selection. And within the share menu, within the, yeah, the share menu, there are things like send via Telegram, send to device, Google Drive, send via Bluetooth, send via email, imager, or imig, imger, I, I don't really know how to say that. But there's other ones too. I mean, there's, um, there's a plugin for Dropbox, for Facebook, for Flickr, for Image Hack, for, there's Imgur again, uh, JAlbum, KML Export, Pywigo, uh, Print Images, and so on. Lots, lots of different ones. This is the collection of Kippy or Keepy, I'm not, again, I'm not really sure how to say that, um, plugins, and, and that's what they are. They're, they're libraries. If you look at the, at, in slash var slash log slash packages slash keepy library or keepy plugins, you see that you have uh, pr- primarily this, this consists of some .so files in user lib64, a couple of things in user share for, uh, icons and, uh, some desktop files and things like that, and then obviously a bunch of different translation files. So that's that's what that is. It's just a, a handy little library to enable sharing of data to a bunch of different locations. I am not entirely sure why we don't see Kipi plugins, Kipi uh, plugins more in more places, and I I don't know maybe maybe they are in more places, and I just kind of pass them by. I just don't look at them. But it's one of those things that since it exists, you'd kind of expect it in practically all KDE applications. Um, in fact, let me check. Let me, let me, cause maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe they are, maybe they do exist in all applications. I'm going to, I'm going to try the one that I kind of feel would almost be the least likely to have it. And, and I don't know why I think it's the least likely that it would have it. I'm just going to, I'm going to try. So I'm going to go to Krita and see if there's a share menu anywhere. I'm not seeing a share menu. Again, it, it is one of those things I'm a little bit blind to cause I, I don't, I don't use that function generally. So it could be everywhere and I'm just not seeing it. I don't see it in Krita. So yeah, I guess, um, oh, but it's in Dolphin. Look at that. It's in the right click of Dolphin or, or some of them are. Okay. I guess it's in more places than I, than I realized. Um, but I mean, this is the, uh, the, the frequent, this is, this is the thing I am often speaking about. This is 
the kind of feature in KDE frameworks that just makes it so easy for developers to activate a feature that could really, really make a huge difference to certain users. Um, I mean, heck, I, the, the share to Dropbox, or not Dropbox, NextCloud would be amazing. Like, that would be really cool. I mean, I say that, I probably still wouldn't use it, but I could I could see myself using that at, at, at you know under certain circumstances. So it's a it, it's a set of cool features that a developer just doesn't have to come up with themselves. They don't have to they don't have to do the research of what what is the API or the protocol that would uh, allow them to hook into some online service. It's just there. They just inherit it by including the the library making the menu item or the button and and they walk away that's it's a huge deal i can't i know i say this a lot about the kde framework stuff but if you've ever had to reinvent a wheel and you're thinking i know someone's done this before why am i having to write this code getting it in a really obvious and and reusable package is just such a relief and and i imagine that that's got to be one of the biggest appeals of kde development or, or I should say, a big desktop development. You, you just have so much support. I mean, you write a GNOME app, and you've got all of GNOME that you can pull from. You write a KDE app, you've got all of KDE that you can pull from. It's just got to be such a, a relief sometimes. Okay, so that's the, the Kippy plugins. Now on to Kirigami. Kirigami is a... Well, it's... it's sorry, Kirigami Gallery is, is what we're actually on to next. But in order to understand... Kirigami Gallery, you need to understand Kirigami. Kirigami is a project within KDE aimed at creating uh, what everyone's sort of calling convergent applications. A convergent application is, at least in this context, an application that people can use on any device, meaning that you write an application and it looks really nice on a desktop computer and it also looks really nice on a mobile phone and on a tablet and i don't know whatever else there is out there this is one of those topics that seems almost frustrating because i i remember a couple of years ago maybe six years ago now maybe more maybe less i don't know there was a big deal i mean there was a kickstarter about it or a, a, a maybe it was before kickstarter but i mean there was a big sort of push towards this from ubuntu that they were going to, the, the next big step for Ubuntu was going to be that it would, that it would cross platforms, that it was going to be, it, it, you, you, you would essentially be able to run Ubuntu on, on your phone, come home, plug your phone into a display uh, and, and, and a, a keyboard, or, or maybe I guess, uh, pair your keyboard, you know, wirelessly with it. And, and then you'd just be using your phone as your computer. And what an exciting idea. Like, I mean, that's just such a cool, almost, I dare say, obvious end result. Like, that is absolutely what we should be, ha what we should have access to right now. If you want it, that should be possible. And it is endlessly frustrating that that's not a reality and that it's hard to even see at least an immediate future where that is a reality. And it's not Ubuntu's fault, it's not open source's fault, it's 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 the phone's fault. Like phones have been developed in such a way that they are th th that they're useless, that they're paperweights except they're they have parts that glow. Um 
I mean, they're consumption devices. You, they, they are, they are. You, you consume stuff on them, but, but they, they really, really try to hold you back from doing anything productive on them. And part of that is just the design of the system, very, very locked down. And part of that is the interface design, the little touch screens where you, you can sort of type most of the time, but really to get any comp comprehensible sentence out, you have to use word completion and so on. So I, I just, I, I, I feel like mobile phones really aren't designed for pro productive use. And that's a pity. Um, and I know that there are phones out there now that, that will run a, a, a Linux distribution. They're hard to get, I can say that uh, for, for certain. Uh, at least they're hard to get in, in New Zealand. I haven't been able to get any of the phones that sort of um, do that with ease anyway. And, and it's just a pity, you know, I mean, phones, I just feel like they're, they're such a misstep huge misstep in technology. I mean, they're both not a misstep at all. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're the stuff of, of future. I mean, these wireless computers in your pocket with, with just a surprising amount of power, but it's just all, it's all wasted. And I mean, I could go on for hours about that, but I'm, I'm not going to, I've said it. And that's, I think that's, that's that. But ideally we would have these these powerful little devices and we would just throw a Linux distribution on them as easily as you would throw a Linux distribution on a laptop or a desktop. And, and that's it. You, you would just, ha you'd have that. And there'd be presumably, um, you know, a couple of icons for phone-like functionality. Uh, and then there would be, I don't know, whatever else you want. I guess, according to Kirigami, all of your apps, all of the applications that you're used to on a desktop would also work on your, on your mobile device. I'm, I'm sure that there would be exceptions, but generally speaking, it should be possible to, to create applications that just reform themselves depending on the media screen that they're on. And the crazy thing is that we've got this already in a way. We have websites that, that detect what kind of screen they're on and rearrange themselves in order to, to sort of make sense on that kind of screen. And, and I've just, I've so often just wondered why we can't just use, like literally just use CSS and, and HTML5, that same principle or the same literal technology for for layout of, of desktop applications. And I, and I don't mean let's use a web engine and, you know, make an electron app and that sort of thing. I mean, why, why can't you, and, and I know Qt for instance, has CSS. It, it can talk CSS. Like you can theme a cute application with CSS. It's not generally done as, as like the only thing like it, it but, but it, it does get used and it can get used. I don't know how, how much, you know, how often it gets used, um, but it's there. It's a feature of, of cute. So it's, it, it's possible. It, it's there. I just feel like all of this technology is kind of just sort of sitting next to each other on a table and it, they just need a little push to actually make that connection. Um, and I don't know, the thing is, you know, I'm complaining about it, but I'm not complaining about it in the sense that I know how to fix what I see as a problem. I just know that I wish it would, it would be better. That, that's, that's the only contribution I have, which, you know, isn't a whole lot, but I do feel it's, it's really what I'm, what I'm expressing is frustration. It's not, it's not annoyance with any, any single technology or even 
with any technology, aside from phone vendors, who I think really are just sort of criminals. Um, but I, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure there's some good phone vendors out there, but generally speaking, they're all horrible. And I just feel like the technology is so close to being, I mean, we have, we obviously, as they say, we have the technology. We have it right now. It could happen. It should be happening. You should be able to get a phone, install Linux, and then either put it in your pocket and use it or plug it into a monitor and use it again as a computer. Just let, I mean, you can do that with a Raspberry Pi. You can just plug a Raspberry Pi into your monitor and start using it as a computer. That's how easy it should be for a phone. Kirigami is a project aimed toward making that happen. Kirigami is built on top of QML, which I believe I've talked a little bit about. QML is um, a division of Qt that essentially uses, uh, I think it's JavaScript largely in the background to format things. Don't quote me on that. I could be misremembering. But QML, it's it's a quick language for for almost Qt scripting in a way. And I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit of a simplification of Qt. I think I would I would probably I think it's safe to say that it's a little bit of a simplification. Um, but I mean, it also is a it's it's kind of worth it. I mean, there are beautiful applications written in QML. Elisa, for instance, uses QML as far as I remember. Um, and, and it's a beautiful application. It's, it's just a, a gorgeous little application. It's just not, it doesn't feel like a cute application half the time because it, it's so sort of pre-configured. It, it, it is, it is, it is what it is. You cannot move the panels around and, and, and sort of configure it the way that you could have, for instance, Amarok, which is kind of what I compare it with in, in, in my head, just because that's, that's the, the slot that it fills. Um, but I mean, when you resize Elisa, it, it resizes itself beautifully. Like you could definitely see this thing, uh, on, on a, on a screen, uh, on a mobile screen. If, if you, you know, if you could get it on there. So it, it's a fascinating little, um, system, Kirigami and Kirigami gallery is just a bunch of examples of all the widgets and things like that that are available for uh, you know within the um within the kirigami system so if you're i guess thinking about writing an application and you want it to be potentially um functional on on mobile as well as desktop then kirigami is something to look at because it it does it shows you it shows you examples of of all the different like little widgets and even the like the layout changes that you'll you'll experience on your kirigami application so you can you can resize it to just a tiny little screen like a little almost you know like sort of if you hold your phone up to the screen and 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 make it that big it it resizes itself like the the gallery itself and and instead of a instead of a side panel you have now a little hamburger menu as they call it the three lines um that that when you click on it the the panel slides out with a little close button on it so you can get rid of it when you're done. Uh, the widgets all resize themselves correctly. It's just, it's really, really impressive. Like it's really, really nice. It is exactly, you know, it's one of those applications that demonstrates what it is attempting to demonstrate. In other words, the point of this application is that Kirigami is a thing and it will resize and it's, um, it's responsive design. Well, the gallery itself 
also resizes and is responsive design. So if you want to, you know, not only do you get to see the widgets that it can produce, you get to see all of that stuff working in real life within the application that you're looking at the things in. So Kirigami Gallery, really, really fun to look at if you are uh, thinking that you're going to start developing using the KDE framework and you want to ensure that your application can run on lots of different devices. I think that it's um, it's it's worth thinking about. I, I would love for that to be sort of the norm, I think, um, because it does feel a little bit strange. I mean, the little hobby projects that I do, I do often feel a little bit strange about programming something, anything, not really w without like the, without the, um, without the allowance for that code base to, to really necessarily be useful on, on mobile devices. Like that just feels, it's a weird thing to, to be programming something, realizing, oh, if I was going to try to distribute this on a mobile device, I would have to re, I would have to reinvent this entire application. Doesn't feel great. Uh, I've been using Java a lot lately, really, really enjoying it. But as I understand the Java method of, of, of getting to that magical cross-platform place is Java effects. And, and you can do that. You can install J the Java effects things, but that's been taken out of the main Java open JDK. So you have to kind of include some other stuff and it's just, I don't know, there's yeah, there's a lot of sort of like weird complications in there. Whereas I think, I feel like I, I just, I really wish that this was all just kind of like the default. And again, I don't see the drawback. I guess it must just be momentum and, and history. Like we haven't had everything thinking about responsive design previously. And so now we're having to get there with our desktop applications, even though our web browser is staring back at us light years ahead of interface design. That hurts, it's painful, especially as someone who loves a good desktop app. I defend desktop apps. I, I don't want to be in my browser all, 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 the, all the time. I don't want everything to run in one, <laughs> one browser window. It's not what I enjoy. So I want to defend desktop apps, but at the same time, you, it, it's awkward that desktop apps are desktop apps and mobile apps are mobile apps. You really want them to sort of converge at some point very soon. Kirigami is at least a, a bright shining light in the, in the, in that direction. That's, that's exciting. So Kirigami, well done. Kirigami gallery, check it out if you want to see it in action. Um, that is enough sort of, I think talking points to cover the next item in the list, which is Kirigami. Um, here's how it describes itself in the, actually, I just, I know I already, um, I already did that, didn't I? I described it from the Kirigami page. You can go to, well, I'll include a link to Kirigami uh, page in the show notes um, because it's definitely a good website. Like the, the KDE page about it is pretty darned interesting to read actually. Okay. So next, Next is uh, Kiriki, K-I-R-I-K-I. -I -I. It's a game, and it is a Yahtzee-style game. So Yahtzee is a uh, trick-taking game where you roll dice and uh, try to score. Well, you, you decide how you want to spend your dice, your dice rolls. Okay, so for instance, if I start Kiriki 
and go to new game. Um, you have to expand the window a little bit, at least on my system you do, because uh, otherwise it just looks like a bunch of columns that don't seem to mean anything. If you expand it, you realize that it has auto-populated your game with several, several bots. So I have been named Albert, and I'm playing against Janet, James, Sandra, Thomas, and Margaret. I, I could go to um, configure Kiriki and knock that down to like two players, uh, and then go to a new game. Okay, now it's just Albert and Janet, and you can rename those in preferences as well, or in settings as well. Okay, so, so I've started a game. And I've got five die, and it's already rolled for me. So uh, w when you say new game, you 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 get your first roll. And of course, this being a computer, the the little bot player happens instantly. Like you you won't it'll you won't you won't register what's happening because it just happened. Which admittedly is a little bit unsettling. That's one of those things where it it makes sense for the computer to take a millisecond, but as a as the player, it feels a little bit weird because you don't see anything happening, and it almost looks like it's like your roles are benefiting Janet or something. It, it's it's a little bit unsettling. It took me by surprise um, when it happened, but anyway, I've got my initial roll because I said new game, and the, my initial roll is pretty good, one six six three six. So I need to satisfy. I need to get as many ones as I want, as I can, as many twos as I can, threes, fours, fives, and six. Um, and then I also need a three of a kind, a four of a kind, a full house, a small straight, which I think is probably three numbers in a row, like one, two, three, or two, three, four, or four, five, six, whatever. Uh, and a four of a kind. No, sorry, a large straight, which I think is probably a full run. One, two, three, four, five, or two, three, four, five, six. Uh, a kiriki, which I don't. I, I'm, I'm sure that that's the equivalent of a Yahtzee. I just don't remember what that is. I don't play Yahtzee very often. I've played it like once. And then a chance roll, which I don't really remember what that is either. Does it say in the handbook? Yes, it does. Um, oh, no, a full house is three dice of a kind and a pair. Oh, okay. Small straight is uh, 30 points if that's a sequence of one, two, three, four or three, four, five, six. A large straight is two, three, four, five, six, or one, two, three, four, five, okay. A kariki is worth 50 points, and that get you're awarded that if you uh, get five dice of the same value. Oh, five of a kind. Why don't they just call it five of a kind? And then chance, summarized value of all dice currently on display. Okay, so that's when you have nothing else you assign it to your chance slot. And yeah, the idea is to get more points than your opponent. Okay, so anyway, I've got one, six, six, three, six. So I, that sounds to me like probably sixes are gonna be the, the best bet there. So I'll click on six and it assigns me 18 points and then instantly Janet gets eight points in the twos and the, no, the two, the, the her two slot. The, it's really, really unsettling when that happens because you just think, why is that happening? Um, so. I mean, obviously, to really game correctly, I would need to look at these rules again. It looks like a three of a kind is summarized value of dice that match. Okay, so, because I just rolled again, or the, the game just rolled again for me, and I've got a four, one, one, four, one. So again, those are probably the ones are, are the things that I have to satisfy with that, probably. Uh, so I think I can re-roll two die, because I've, so you've got three rolls each, each turn, essentially. 
So I believe, and I'm going to try this, if I click on the 4 and the 4, they go blank. And now click roll again. Yeah, and I got to keep my 1s, and the 4 and the 6 got re-rolled. So I'm going to click them again and roll a third time. And unbelievably, I got two ones. So now I've got five ones in my hand. So that sounds like it's a Kariki, and that I believe was 50 points. So I'm going to take it, and yeah, that's 50 points. Janet is languishing at eight points right now. Okay, so the computer's rolled for me again, one, two, four, two, and six. So I don't know, I, I guess I could take twos, but I guess it would probably make more sense maybe to re-roll all but the twos. So now I've got three twos and a one and a five, roll that again. Now I've got four twos. So I think that that makes sense to just take those as twos, which puts me at um, eight, 18, so that's 26 and then 50. So that's 76 compared to Janet's 38. Janet's rubbish at this game um, and so on. You just keep playing like that. You just keep rolling die. It's, it's a fun game, I think, because of the decisions. You know, I mean, rolling die, I mean, it is, it's, it is fun to roll die. It's a satisfying feeling. But if, if all you're doing is rolling die and constantly just trying for a certain value, it gets pretty boring. Whereas once you have to start making decisions, then, it, then you feel like the stakes are actually there. Like you, you now, now you could screw your own game up. You could, you could rob yourself of a victory just by making a poor d decision at one point. Which is funny, because one doesn't know the future. So you're making a decision that you feel you might regret later, but you shouldn't regret it because you're making a decision based on data that you have right now. I guess maybe there's you know if you really belabor it, I guess you could take into consideration the probability of getting a better roll later, but I don't know. I just, it just feels pretty monumental to try to actually calculate probability for that sort of, you know, the optimal Yahtzee game, or I'm sorry, Kariki game. It seems uh, like that would be a lot of work. So anyway, that's Kariki. It, it's, a, it's a fun game. I mean, um, like I say, I've actually only played Yahtzee like literally once in my life. I did enjoy it, but it, it's not one of those games that I go back to often. I think there are other games that use similar mechanics combined with uh, other mechanics to make them a little bit more appealing. Like King of Tokyo is a really, really fun game. And it's got that same kind of Yahtzee feel because you're rolling die over and over um, to, to control like Godzilla or King Kong. A big, big, big monsters destroying Tokyo is the story of the game. You're rolling die and and you get to keep the die that you like or re-roll the ones that you don't but then you have to kind of weigh the possibilities of are you actually going to get something better than what you just rolled or what are you going for because there are different things on the die it's not just a standard one two three four five six it's got little symbols on it some of them give you little power like energy bolts that to, that you can spend later others um decrement your opponents points and so on so you have to really kind of strategize and yeah it's the, it's the same kind of anxiety that you feel over Yahtzee but with 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 a lot more around it to make it maybe a little bit more interesting anyway Kariki is fun it's a very simple dice game if if you think that sounds fun then you should play it because yeah it's it's a nice little idle sort of casual game I think it's time for coffee that's what I think <laughs>
back with coffee in hand. The next in, next in the list is K-Item Models, which I'm not going to talk about yet, because I realized that uh, there's a there's a email that I have not yet uh, read on the show, which I like to do when there's uh, email, listener email. This is from Jim, and this is fascinating. So, dear listener, you may remember uh, some time ago there was a game in, in KDE called K Black Box, and I just found it absolutely fascinating really really fascinating it's it's a black square and you shoot these little imaginary beams of light through the black square and based on the behavior of the light you are supposed to locate uh little orbs within the black box and you're doing this more or less well i mean blind i mean it's a black box and the 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 behavior of the orbs shift the light in some admittedly sometimes confusing ways but once you pick up on the pattern then i mean then you know right i mean that's then you know the 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 then you can figure out the location of the orbs and the idea is to find all those orbs uh in the fewest number of um of, of moves or, or clicks, I guess. So anyway, that's that was K Black Box. Highly recommend this game. Jim emails me and says, Clatu, I'm a bit behind in my podcast listening, and today while driving into work, I heard you discussing K Black Box. When I was a child, 1980-ish, my parents bought me the game Black Box, which appears to be the game which K Black Box is modeled after. In fact, I still have it, though I haven't played it in some time. The instructions can be found at hasbro.com slash common slash instruct slash blackbox.pdf, which gives a decent description of how the rays work, especially in regard to reflections, which can be frustrating. Oftentimes, when looking for something to do, I have begun implementing it myself, though I haven't ever completed those projects. I thought you might appreciate this information. I most certainly do appreciate that information. That's um, amazing. I had no idea that this was a physical game. I love the idea that this is a physical game, and I've got to say that the instructions are pretty dense. I mean, these are, I don't know how many old game books you've read, dear listener. I've actually read quite a lot of them, and I will admit that documentation, probably in general, has come a long way. And these the, these instructions um, kind of take the approach, and I, I, I this is... One of those approaches I just really don't love. It takes the approach of sort of saying, essentially, I can't explain to you how to do this. So instead, I will narrate someone doing this, and you can figure out what they've, how they've done it. You, you can reverse engineer it, essentially. I'll describe to you how, how a game goes, and you can reverse engineer it for yourself. Now, arguably, that it's a framework. It's just a... That's a way of communicating rules. I just don't find it effective myself. And I've, I've, I've read documentation both for games and for software that takes exactly that approach of, well, I can't tell you what the steps to make this successful are, so I'm going to tell you a story about someone who, who does the thing. And then you'll sort of, you'll figure out the steps for yourself. I, I just, I really, really don't like that. Um, now there is some, there's, there, there is some documentation on, on 
on on how to play the game. I mean, it it does it does tell you the steps. So there is there is documentation there. I just don't feel like it's very clear. And then it kind of does this thing where where it says, well, here's here's a practice game. Just just play the game step by step, and and maybe you'll figure it out. And admittedly, it is as a as a physical game, I think it is it is complex. It really is. Um, to their credit as well, they have a solitaire version of this. So if you were just one kid at home wanting to play Black Box and didn't have anyone to play it with you, you, you can play solitaire, which is really cool. Uh, and there are several pages of charts and, and uh, index or, or uh, listings of like where each little orb should go and so on. I would kind of really be curious to know, like I would kind of like to see like what what does this look like? What's the physical, I guess probably the internet would know. Black box Hasbro game. I mean, I, I literally, I, I only have looked at, okay, so wait, that's not the black box, that's Pokemon. Yeah, I don't know what it looks like. I, I don't know, I, the internet doesn't seem to know what, what it looks like. It's a f- absolutely fascinating game, though. I'm truly, truly just enamored with this game. I think it's um, it's just one of the the most clever. It's the cleverest thing, as Jim says. It is a little bit um, the the reflections are a little bit weird the way that it works. Um, I do feel a little bit like maybe maybe some of the ideas in the game could have been thought out a little bit. So so that I guess that they're maybe they're mimicking um physics a little bit more because the 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 weird thing is is that when a a ray travels towards a hidden orb um it it gets reflected without ever actually hitting the orb and and I don't know why they would have designed it that way I guess because if it hits the orb then it stops but I mean you and I know how light works more or less and and if you think of like prisms and things like that, I mean the the ray of light doesn't just doesn't doesn't reflect off of the prism before hitting the prism. I mean it would go through the prism and then it would be split up. So I wonder if maybe instead of saying that the ray reflects off the orb without touching the orb, it's it's in a it's in a adjacent a diagonally adjacent square at the point of reflection. Instead of saying that, then it, it would be maybe better to say, well if it hits the orb it's gonna get it, it, the, the light is gonna spread and maybe that's what causes the reflection or something like that. And then I I don't know what would prevent a light ray from getting to the other side then though. I guess I guess it's tough. I guess it's a, a tough call. Either way, it is a very cool game. I'll I'll put a link to the instruction manual just for fun, just because I think it's an interesting glance back at history. And um that K black box is still a really fun game. So if you're if if you haven't tried it yet, definitely go try it, honestly. It is such a cool cool little clever clever game okay so that's that's our coffee talk the uh the next item in the list is k item models and then i think i'll probably just kind of cover k item views as well because both of these have uh to do with the cute sort of cute widgets and and the kde uh framework so k item models is a let's get back up to the top K item models is a set of item models extending the cute model view framework. 
pretty simple. Uh, so the, look at this uh, in var log packages. You see a bunch of stuff in user include kf5, k item models, k breadcrumb selection model, k check uh, k checkable proxy model, k extra columns proxy model, k um, k link item selection model, and so on. But what does it all mean? Well, Qt is the the toolkit that KDE uses to build its own its own visuals, and the the Qt toolkit has this paradigm, I guess, of models and views. And the the, the model a model is um, a way of structuring data, and a view is a way to render that structure. I think that's accurate. I think that's an accurate way of saying it. The 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 a great example in the Qt documentation is uh, sort of thinking about the Q uh, Q file system model and the Q standard item model or something like that. Uh, Q maybe Q file system model is that what I said? Q file system model and Q standard item model. And if you think about, for instance, a a a model of a file system understands that there's that there are files in a structured, in some kind of structure related to each other. But you could view that information through a couple of different, I guess templates is, is the way you could really think of it. So for instance, QTreeView could, could contain uh, or could, could create a, a tree object and you could set the model to whatever model is applicable to that data. And then you could tell it to use to, to populate the data through this Q tree view, use the um, qdir uh, colon colon current path, and and that's how Qt would know to look at a at a directory in the current path, and then to 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 list essentially list the directory for you, and populate your your model yeah your model with those elements that you would then view as a a, a tree a file system tree you know like a little um, hierarchical structure of folders and, and files uh, you, that that would do that. You could also, though, use the same same principle for a queue list view. And again, you could tell it, "Hey, I want to create this object. I want to call it a. I want to. I want to make it a list. So it's gonna it's gonna invoke all of the parts of the queue list view, which exists for you already, right? Queue tree view, queue list view. Those are things." In, included, those are views included in Qt. And you could say for this list object, I want to set the root index to uh, the model index qdir current path. So same exact thing as for QTreeView. You're getting the same, you're using qdir to look at the current path, you're listing this, the contents of the current path, you're populating your list object with 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 that list but then you're seeing it just as a, a list of files in in like your file manager. But if you switch over to your tree view, you're going to see that same data in a file tree view, no file system tree view. So same same data model, different different views of that data. Well, Q item no not Q K K item models are are new models. They're 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 new um, presets for data that you want to feed to your your application. So for instance, as I said, k breadcrumb select selection view selects the parents of selected items to create breadcrumbs. So that I imagine and I haven't looked at the code myself, but that I imagine needs awareness of 
the current path and well yeah i guess the current path because that implies the the the, the hierarchy um and but then it, it knows to structure that data the the current path it knows to divide that into something that can then be expressed as a breadcrumb um well i wanted to say breadcrumb view that's probably what you would be using for a breadcrumb selection model but not necessarily there could be some other thing that you'd be using k breadcrumb selection model for um so that this is just the model and that that would structure that data the path data into something uh, that would resemble a breadcrumb trail here is for instance a k oh all of these are very complex <laughs> i don't even want to k extra columns proxy model adds columns after existing columns that's cool I'm, i'll bet that's a great model to use um i can't even fathom what that actually means without sort of really 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 thinking about it um and, and taking lots of guesses and it would probably be a lot more productive for me to go research it but i'm not going to that's i that's the that's k item models and as you can probably guess k item views is the um is the oh i'm in the wrong directory actually maybe that's an okay thing to be i'm in user doc k item views is there a readme here yeah there is perfect oh it doesn't it doesn't actually doesn't give me a whole lot of data actually okay so i'll go back to var log packages for k item view and this one has something called k categorized sort filter proxy model k categorized view k category drawer k filter proxy search line k list widget search line and so on so these again these are views you've you've gathered data you've got some some knowledge of 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 something and, and you want to view that that thing through some kind of preset through a template almost and and k tree widget search line or k widget item delegate or k category drawer all of these things are are ways of viewing that the data that you've gathered and probably put well and and put into a model because you, i mean you have to populate the model in order to get the view so yeah, as far as i know um, there might be some other way of doing that, but I, not that I know of. Um, so you populate the model and then you you dump that model or you express that model in, as as a view. And once again, standard K for K, KDE framework praise applies. Um, these are all things that programmers don't have to re-implement themselves. If, if they want to write a, well, if they want to embed a, a sort of a file manager kind of uh, widget into there. I mean, heck, I think, I think I'll bet you anything. KDevelop probably utilizes this itself in, in the projects view of KDevelop. Heck, not even in the project view. There's a file system view that I completely forgot about. Um, or actually I didn't forget about it, but then I got distracted by the project view, but the file system view, it, it shows you I mean, you can almost see the code. It's qdir colon colon current directory, and the current directory is home right now, and here's a file tree view. So all of these things, all of these items are, well, they're items being expressed in a view, and all of this data is coming from a model that has that has looked at the current directory of my home directory, has populated that model with these items, and and now I'm getting to see it in this uh, tree view, but I'll bet with some kind of other thing, maybe not because I'm I'm clicking around and I'm not seeing any other way to um, 
to change the well here's sorting for instance i could sort by size but that's not really the same thing that's different um yeah i can't really find i can't find a way of but that that's a view obviously that that's one of the views so yeah when you when you want to embed that into an application and it might not be a file system view it might be something else it might be a k tree widget search line widget view whatever that is but you can use that library to um to give yourself or to give your user different views of of important data that actually you know matters to them so that is um k item model and k item view okay next in the list is kiten k-i-t-e-n kiten is a um, japanese reference and study tool by kde so probably part of the kde edu package technically um but Kiten is apparently a set of three tools with multiple functions. It's a convenient English to Japanese and Japanese to English dictionary. Uh, it is a kanji dictionary with lots of different ways to look up what you're looking for. And then finally, it's a, a tool to help you learn kanji because, because it, it correlates English to kanji. So um, I know nothing about Japanese, really, not really. So... I really, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Um, I, I don't, I just don't know where to start. So not a whole lot to say about this one, I guess. Um, I type in, for instance, the word computer, and it returns characters that I don't recognize, but look very cool. Um, some of them, you know, sort of simplified and some of them a lot more complex. And I do know that there is a difference between the two writing systems. I I'm assuming one is kanji. Um, and I, I just, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know enough about it to even comment on this. Seems like it would be a very, very useful application. Uh, and it would be amazing to actually know another alphabet really well. And I just don't, uh, which is too bad, really. But... There you go. That's um, that's Kaiten. If you're looking for a Japanese to English or English to Japanese dictionary and you didn't realize you had one, you have one. It's called Kaiten. K-I-T-E-N. I'm probably mispronouncing even that. Um, and I mean, you know, it says that it can help you learn kanji and I'm sure that's strictly speaking correct, but it's, it's not necessarily the... Um, you know, sort of, it's not really, there's not like lessons that I know of. It's, it really is just, it is a, it is a dictionary, which is great, but I, I, I don't, I don't feel like there's a learning path here. So don't, don't expect maybe an application to sort of step you through learning. Like it's very much would have to be self-taught. There is what what's called a radical selector. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that's not an adjective. Like it's a radical selector. I'm assuming that that has some other meaning linguistically or something but um it it is a a way of typing in characters that you probably don't have immediate access to on on your computer i don't understand how it works so i mean i can click around and i get all kinds of interesting filtration options and things like that and i have no idea what i'm doing so it's cool it's fun but very very well literally foreign to me it's time to wrap up the show. So thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.
Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted. Until next time, thanks for listening, and keep the source open.